Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to advance in leadership, then this podcast is for you. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker, and Monique Marquez, senior corporate leader, ex-Googler, and diversity expert. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. Hi, I'm Nikki Barua, your host for today's episode. Have you ever felt guilty about chasing your dreams or fearful of being judged by others for your ambition? Well, you are not alone. Research shows that women are more predisposed to feelings of shame and guilt than men. From a young age, women are conditioned through social norms to believe that putting yourself first and following your dreams is selfish. And these feelings increase when it comes to going after the life of your dreams. In today's episode, our guest Shelly Archambault will teach you how to shed the fear and guilt and be unapologetically ambitious. Shelly Archambault is one of high tech's first female African-American CEOs and has a track record of accomplishments, building brands, high performance teams, and organizations. Shelly currently serves on the boards of Verizon, Nordstrom, Roper Technologies, Okta, and two national nonprofits, Catalyst and Braven. She's also a strategic advisor to Forbes Ignite and the president of Arizona State University. She's the author of the book, Unapologetically Ambitious, Take Risks, Break Barriers, and Create Success on Your Own Terms. In this episode, Shelly reveals the mindset, tools, and strategies that help to achieve her dreams. Shelly shares stories from her own journey, the highs and the lows on her way to the top. She also shares her struggle with imposter syndrome and what helps her deal with it and how you can do the same. Shelly will empower you with the tools to fight your own battles, make the trade-offs, and create the life you want. Visit imbeyondbarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Shelly. Hi, Shelly. Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. We are so thrilled and honored to have you here. Um, all of us absolutely loved your book, and we're so excited to share the insights with our audience. So um, let's dive right in. Uh, what inspired you to write this book? You know, I have tried throughout my career to be accessible. You know, mm. people reach out and I respond. And early in my career, you know, people want to meet, have coffee, pick my brain, you know, et cetera. And I would try to do that. But as I took on more and more responsibility throughout my career, I still respond. I still do. But I couldn't meet with everyone that wanted to meet with me. And I said, you know what? When I get to phase two, mm. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to write down the strategies, the techniques, what worked, what didn't. Talk about the fact that life is hard. People don't tell you <laughs> that. Uh, you know, all those things, because it was just killing me that I couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've been fortunate. I've learned from a lot of people throughout my career. A lot of folks have helped me, and I've always wanted to be able to pay that forward. Thank you so much for writing that book. I know I've been personally very impacted by it and, and truly inspired by your story. For you, as you wrote um, and documented your journey, what was most impactful for you in, ref in that reflection? Yeah, you know, it was, uh, it was a very interesting process. It took me like three years. Wow. And um, I'll tell you, it was going back and really thinking about what happened mm. and what was the cause and why do I think this way? And why do I do that? I was trying to share not just the what to do, you know, there's a lot of books out there that say, you know, take step one, step two, step three, and boom, you know, all this stuff will happen. And I was really trying to share not so much the prescriptive do this, do this, 
but through story, share what worked for me and why it worked um, and what I learned and why I learned it. And that part was actually, it was hard. I had to think mm-hmm. back on a lot of memories, some good, but you know, some not so good. You know, right. Things that you typically try to lock away and not think about again. Right. So, uh, so it was actually a, a challenging process. Must have been quite a journey of introspection, especially because you go way back into your childhood and, and trace it all the way through. But there's a through line that comes across that's so powerful and inspiring. And, you know, the idea of being unapologetically uh, ambitious, but also that, you know, ambition alone isn't enough to have those strategies uh, to, you know, achieve the success is so important. So I want to um, get into one of the um, paragraphs that you shared about, um, you know, as a business leader and mentor, you're surprised how many people um, that are smart and talented and creative don't really have a plan in place to reach their goals. And we certainly see this a lot in our leadership accelerator um, that helps, you know, mid-career women. And we've often come across the same challenge, a lot of uh, desire for achievement and ambition, and yet not a clearly defined plan in place. And research has also shown that only 15% of women have clarity on where they want to be in their careers in five years. So what tough love or advice would you give to everyone that's listening right now who doesn't have a plan? Mm. Well, let me start with an analogy. You would never spend two, $3,000 for an airline ticket, pack your bags, you know, put your dog in the kennel, put your mail on hold, let your neighbors know you're going to be gone for a while, head to the airport, get on the plane, strap in your seatbelt, and then look at the pilot and say, so where are we going anyway? <laughs> right? You That's would never do that. <laughs> okay. But listen, you know, we do that with our careers every day, mm-hmm. but it's not two or $3,000. We've spent, if you look at it, hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you look at what you spend for education, for training, for conferences, for events, for organizations like yours, right? That people get involved in, right? All books. I mean, all these things you've done to improve and build skills and et cetera. And then we let someone else decide what's going to happen with all that. That's crazy. That's crazy. No, you know, be intentional. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think sometimes people just don't, they don't give themselves permission Mm. to actually dream, to actually ask themselves, if I could do anything, what would I be doing? Mm -hmm. To really put it out there because part of it is vulnerability. Because Mm -hmm. if you actually decide, oh, I'd really like to do that. Then you feel vulnerable. What happens if it doesn't work? What if I fail? I mean, all these issues come to fore that Mm -hmm. I think prevent us from actually acting on some of these thoughts or even voicing people will come to me sometimes for advice and say, you know, I really would like to ask them, well, what do you want to do? Right. And if they know they'll say, well, I'd like to do X one day. I'd like to run engineering or I'd like to run a company, et cetera. And I say, great. Who else knows? <laughs> and they kind of look, well, what do you mean? Well, I mean, who, who else knows this is what you're trying to do. And so often nobody knows, maybe a spouse, maybe a boyfriend, you know, a partner, mm-hmm. you know, a family member, but, no, right. we need to realize that we are responsible for our careers. We own our careers, not the company, mm-hmm. not your mentor, not your spouse or your partner. I mean, it's you. So take the time. We spend more time planning a vacation <laughs> than we spend planning our careers, which is nuts. That is such a great analogy to share and so powerful because you're also investing time. 
and your effort and your energy and everything, but without a plan, you can't hope to get there if you don't know where you're really headed. Um, you also share that success begins with figuring out what you want and then making the choices that will get you there. Um, how would you break down that process that you went through perhaps in figuring out what you really wanted? And, um, you know, how could that be instructive to, you know, someone who's listening that says, okay, maybe I, sort of know my North Star, but I'm not quite sure how to even go down that process of, um, you know, figuring out the step by step. Mm, you know, to me, it's just been three simple questions. Mm. What is it I'm trying to achieve or impact or create, right? So mm. whatever verb fits in. So, you know, you use the term North Star. So you have your North Star. Okay. That's what you're trying to do. So the second question is, what has to be true mm. for that to happen? Now, in order to turn, determine what has to be true, you have to do the work, do the homework. It's the research. It's like, okay, so when I decided at the ripe old age of 16 that I wanted to run a company one day, I had to look to say, okay, you know, who are these CEOs? What were their educational backgrounds? What jobs do they have? What kind of careers? What's their lifestyle like? I mean, it's doing all the research. And then that helps you understand well, what has to be true. Mm-hmm. And then the next question is, how do I make it true? And literally, that's what I've done with everything, personal objectives, professional objectives. What is it I want? What has to be true for me to get it or to have it or to create it? And then how do I make it true? And in the how do I make it true, that's the plan. Those are the steps. Simple yet powerful. That's amazing. I love those questions. Um, let's, um, shift gears a little bit and talk about, um, a story that you shared after you quote unquote made it and got uh, a board director role and you walked into the conference room and it was (laughs) painfully obvious that you were the only (laughs) and a flash of imposter syndrome surfaced. Um, it's something that most successful people can relate with uh, that, you know, sense of feeling like a fraud that you don't belong. How has imposter syndrome impacted you? Oh, I've suffered from imposter syndrome my entire life, my entire life. I'd love to say, oh, I've conquered it. But frankly, no, from time to time, it still raises its you know little head on me. Uh, the key is not to let it stop you. Mm. It's to learn how to deal with it right? And one of the things that I've learned over time is just about everybody suffers from imposter syndrome. Studies show women more so than men, but Mm -hmm. men still do. And then women of color, actually the most. Mm -hmm. So what does that tell you? It tells you that it's not you. What the causes of imposter syndrome, they're like in the air. If it were just you, then you'd be the only one. Mm-hmm. Or one of just a few people, but no, everybody has it. So that's you know I like to say. Therefore, realize that it's in the air. It's kind of like television. You know, it looks real, sounds real. It can even feel real. I mean, you know, something scary comes on, and you start to feel that. And if we have kids or nephews, nieces around, and they get scared, what do we say? We say, "Oh, don't be scared. It's not real." Mm-hmm. That imposter syndrome. It's not real. And what do we do if it gets too scary and we feel like we're immobilized? We turn the thing off, right? You turn off that TV. Well, that little voice that you hear in your head that's telling you, oh, wait till they figure out you don't know as much as they think you know, right? Why do you think you're going to be successful? Wait till, I mean, that little voice, it's not real. Turn that thing off. I believe it comes about because we live in a world that's so judgmental. 
So don't take it personally. It is not you. It is the environment in which we are in. So turn that thing off. And if you can't turn it off, you know, and I talk about a few steps in the book in terms of to help you manage through it, but realize that you're typically only feeling it when somebody is offering you something new, a new opportunity Mm -hmm. to join a new group, to speak, right? It might just something new. It's that something new that strikes up. Oh my God, I don't know if I can do this, right? Well, remember, they wouldn't ask you to do it. They wouldn't invite you into the room, right? They wouldn't do any of that if they didn't believe that you can do it. Mm. If you can't believe in yourself, believe them. And then if that's still not working and you're still hesitating, oh, I don't know if I should take the job. I don't know if I should add that responsibility, whatever it might be. Fake it. Fake it. Act like you know what you're doing until you do. Because if you think about it, you always figure it out. Think about it. You always figure it out. So give yourself the benefit of the doubt, right? And that's what I've done. And trust me, when I say my whole life, um, you know, one of the stories I share in the book is my first Verizon board meeting. Mm -hmm. I'm getting ready to walk into the Verizon board meeting. Now, at this point, I'd been a CEO for a decade. I'd served on public boards for eight years, roughly. So this wasn't like this was a brand new experience. And I get ready to walk in and I look and it's like, oh my God, there's the CEO of Walgreens. There's the former secretary of transportation. That's the former chairman of the SEC. What, I mean, what makes me think that I'm going to be able to go toe to toe with these people? Do I really belong in this room? Do I? And it's like, Shelly, get over it, right? Come on. That's the benefit of being older. I still have it, but I know it when I see it, Mm -hmm. right? And what do I do? Put those shoulders back, take a deep breath and walk in and act like I know what I'm doing until I do, because eventually I will. Mm. So for all of you out there that are hesitating because you have that little voice, don't let that little voice control your life. Well, what's powerful in what you shared is also you sharing that you still struggle with it. I think that in itself is such a, you know, incredible uh, thing for other people to relate to because you'd never think that someone as highly accomplished as yourself uh, would still be feeling that. And, uh, you know, that should give everyone hope to say, you know what, it's never stopped you and it shouldn't stop any of us and we can still keep going and trust that we will overcome those barriers and learn as we go and step into exactly who we're meant to be. Absolutely. Can I just had a point on this whole learning thing? Because at the end of the day, that's really the crux of it. Mm. Realize that every time you take a new job, a new role, a new opportunity, et cetera, you're starting at the bottom of the learning curve ladder, Mm -hmm. right? By definition and by design, there's no way you're expected to know everything about the role and be an expert in it when you first get it. Nobody expects that. You don't expect that when you hire people. Mm -hmm. So realize that. And it's okay to be at that step and to learn and to grow and to climb all the way up, right? Until you jump to the next ladder. Mm -hmm. But realize that that discomfort right? That feeling, that lack of confidence that you suddenly feel that, oh my God, where am I? How am I going to do this? All those things that come through Mm -hmm. is very normal. That sense of discomfort means that you are learning. Mm. All right. Your whole career, your whole life should be about learning. The more you learn, the more you grow, the more you're able to contribute. So I would tell you 
get comfortable feeling uncomfortable. Because mm-hmm. if you're not, if you're feeling pretty comfortable most of the time, then you're probably coasting. And cars only coast downhill. Mm-hmm. You need to be uncomfortable at least every three, four weeks, because that says that, okay, I'm learning, I'm adding new things, right? I'm putting myself mm-hmm. out there. So don't worry about this discomfort. Every time you feel it, it's like working muscles. You know, I like to exercise. Well, when you work those muscles, right? And you work them hard, the next day they're kind of sore, right? It's a little uncomfortable. That means that your muscles are getting stronger. That discomfort you are feeling in your body, that means your mind is getting stronger. It is okay. Mm, Very powerful. And especially in a world that's changing so fast, if someone is standing still and coasting, chances are they're actually getting left behind and don't even know it. That's Uh, right. Learning is truly the superpower now. So- um, you know, often this fear um, of newness, of perhaps um, fear of failure and imposter syndrome also prevents people from making the right decisions, you know, uh, and taking risks. Um, and as you've uh, noted in the book as well, is uh, it's really important to take risks in order to be successful. Can you share your strategy on how you evaluate and decide which risks are worth taking and which are not, or just how do you go about sort of evaluating risks in general? Mm. It's important to realize that risk and opportunity are two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. In order to get the best opportunities, you're going to have to take risks. So how do I think about it? Well, when something comes forward, I ask myself, okay, what's likely to happen? What's the best that can happen? Right. So you go through and say, okay, what are the upsides? How does this look? Uh, And first of all, is that even worth it? Right. Mm -hmm. Is that return worth it? Then I, and if it is, then I ask myself, okay, what's the worst that can happen? And can I live with it? Mm. And you know what? If you actually define the worst that can happen and write it down, and I literally mean it, write it down, write it down so you can actually stare at it and look at it. It suddenly becomes tangible. You realize, it's actually not that scary, right? It's not that scary Mm -hmm. because it's really rare that the worst that can happen will destroy your health. The worst that will help happen will actually put you out on the street homeless. The worst that can happen will, I mean, if you think about the things that really are fearful, Mm -hmm. those probably aren't it, okay? So when you realize that the worst that can happen is, well, maybe I get embarrassed. Yeah. Okay, you can kind of live with that. Mm -hmm. Um, Or the worst that can happen is, Maybe I actually stumble or fail or I don't get it done. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that okay? Well, yeah, well, I've learned. Well, I've gotten support. Well, I've grown, you know, all those things. Then, okay, I can live with that too. Mm-hmm. So it is ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen and can I live with it? And it's almost like by staring at it, right? It enables you to move farther, faster. It's when we don't define it and it stays as the, oh, it is scary, the amorphous scary. Well, when it's amorphous, you can't deal with it because it's just kind of there and it keeps you from moving forward. So define it, look at it, analyze it, and then you'll find you get more comfortable with it. Mm. Turn the gray into black and white and then deal with it. Take those Mm -hmm. steps forward. Excellent. Um, Let's uh, shift gears to talking about asking for what you want. Um, I love the story about uh, your um, career at IBM where your manager said that there were no management opportunities. And so you just started looking elsewhere. And um, so many people struggle with that exact scenario because when they're told that there's no opportunities, 
They still choose to not look anywhere else, even within the same organization, let alone looking outside and just assume that that is the ultimate boulder in their path and they can't get around it. And you've sort of navigated like a river that finds the path forward. Um, one of the questions we often get is, you know, I know I should be asking for it. I literally don't even know how to the script of how do I go about vocalizing that? Can you perhaps share an example, you know, or a specific way that someone who's looking for that opportunity could express that very clearly and um, break it down for them? Certainly. So first, it's not a one-time conversation. Okay. Um, So, you know, it's important that people know what you want all along the way. And again, you know, risk and opportunity. So you have to take the risk to let them know. Mm. So let me tell you how to do it. You can walk. I mean, no, I don't recommend walking to somebody's office and saying, okay, one day I want to be whatever, you know, chief marketing officer, right, of, of this company. So how are we going to make that happen? <laughs> okay. No. No, nobody wants to work with people like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, instead, you walk into your boss, right? Again, this might have to be multiple conversations. The best way to do it is you walk in, even as you get started, as you get started in the job or as you've been in the job for six months or a year or whatever, um, you say, you know, one day I aspire and then give a level that's maybe two levels above where you are. Okay. One day I aspire to, who knows, vice president of sales. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Then you say, you know, one day I aspire to be the vice president of sales. Do you think I have the potential? Hmm. Now, what have I just done? I just told them what I aspire to. So now they know what I want, but I've done it in a way that is not threatening, right? It's not super aggressive. We have to walk those fine lines. You know, most if men can walk through a road, women walk, get one lane and women of color get that little strip down the middle of the, of the road, right? I mean, we have a very narrow bands in which we act as to how people respond. So I'm a black woman. So I've got that yellow line down the middle, which is very narrow. So what I've learned is to ask for what I want, but do things in a non-threatening way. But it's clear, right? And that's, mm-hmm. that's a very simple statement. It's very clear what I want. Mm-hmm. Now, what I've, but what I've done is I've asked for their advice because I've said, you know, one day I aspire to be vice president of sales. Do you think I have the potential? Well, guess what? When you say potential, that's an easy layup. Mm. Everybody says yes. Everybody says yes. They're not going to tell you no potential. If they didn't think you had potential, they wouldn't have hired you. Okay? Mm-hmm. So they're going to say yes. Wonderful. It's like fishing. You now got them. They just bit the hook. Because you now get to say, wonderful. What advice do you have for me on? And then pick the area you want to focus on, either experiences that you think I ought to try to gain, more skills that I ought to build, right? Blah, blah, whatever it might be to work toward that. Mm-hmm. And now they have to answer because they've told you you have potential. So now they're going to tell you something. It doesn't matter what they tell you. Mm-hmm. Take the advice, take the advice, and then report back. And it doesn't matter if it's a month later, six weeks later, whatever. Say, hey, you know, you suggested that I get experience, blah, 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 right? Here's what I've done. Is that what you had in mind? Mm. Right? Thanks very much. By the way, what? And then you ask the next thing. Okay, so now what's happened? Now that they are giving you advice, you are taking advice, right? You're responding back. They now actually start to feel a little responsible for you because they're guiding you, right? And all of a sudden... They went from a manager to a mentor and they didn't even know it. (laughs) All right. So now you can have the conversation about the next steps because you gave an aspiration two steps over, right? 
so that you can talk about, well, what step do you think would be next? All right. And, and how well am I positioned for that? And what do I, right? Now you could start to have conversations. So now you're building a plan, right? And they're part of this plan. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's just an example. That is fantastic. And it's so tangible that anyone can apply. And I love how it's so inclusive in bringing the manager into the conversation um, and really making them feel responsible for your success. Um, and same with mentors and sponsors as well to bring that into it. Love that. What if you could pinpoint the invisible ceilings limiting your success? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers so you can take action and gain unstoppable momentum to advance as a future-ready leader. Well, that's exactly what the Beyond Barriers quiz will help you discover. You'll get your personalized score based on the 25 essential elements proven to accelerate success in the digital age, so you can understand what's holding you back and where to focus your efforts. The Beyond Barriers quiz is completely free and takes just a few minutes. Go to imbeyondbarriers.com slash quiz and take the quiz today. I want to... get your thoughts on the level of change that's happening in the world and, you know, especially with technology disruption, um, staying ahead of the curve or at least making sure you're aligned with where the world is headed and, you know, what uh, competencies and skills are most in demand. That is key to tapping into that opportunity. And, uh, you know, even in your own uh, story, you shared about choosing the technology industry because you can't go work against the market, you know, where the demand is, follow that demand. Um, How would you answer this today in today's environment? What do you think is the biggest opportunity or threat that our audience should be preparing for? Mm. Uh, from an opportunity standpoint, I still think tech is a great opportunity because every company is becoming a tech company. It's just mm. critical to how companies build and execute on their strategy, serve customers, right? All those things. Um, with regards to threat, the threat that exists is if you're a non-learner because the world is changing so fast, so fast that if you're not keeping up, Mm-hmm. with trends, with technology, with changing buyer behavior, you're not going to be effective. So being a constant learner and putting yourself out there, being willing to be vulnerable by doing things that are new, mm. that's where the threat is. That's, um, you know, with the level of change, it's impossible to know everything, but it is, um, you know, critical that uh, no matter what your current skills are, they're always looking forward and constantly learning and adapting to what's ahead. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, uh, we are now challenged with so many different things to do. It's, you know, sort of do well in the job you have, but look forward and, you know, manage your career, but also prepare for tomorrow. It's, uh, and if the past year has been any indication, uh, you know, the, the loss of boundaries and the blurring of boundaries with home and life and work, all of that has been disproportionately challenged women in particular, right? And um, the whole idea of work-life balance, which has always been a myth, uh, and you have articulated that, 
Can you share with us, you know, some of the lessons you've learned about not taking on too much and finding harmony by integrating different aspects of your life? And what advice would you give to our audience around the world, you know, that are really struggling with all of this, especially in this sort of new post-pandemic normal? Mm, So a couple things. So first, the importance of focus. When the world around you is chaos, it really is important to focus. And the analogy that I'd use is um, actually my four-year-old grandchildren. One of the things that they love to do is they stand in the middle of the floor and they'll spin and spin and spin until they get dizzy and dizzy. And next thing you know, they're flat on their back, typically giggling. All right. Now contrast that with a dancer. A dancer will get up and spin and spin and spin and spin. Stop and move on gracefully. Mm. What's the difference? The dancer picks a focal point and whips their head around, whips their head around right back to the focal point. No matter how fast they're spinning, it's back to that focal point. And that helps them stay in balance, Mm. right? Helps them stay straight when chaos is around you. And heck, last year is a perfect example of that. It's really important to pick that focal point. What's really important? Stay focused on that. Let go of the rest. So that you can stay on your feet. Now, a key element of that, and this is especially hard for women, is I believe it's really important that we decide individually what we're willing to be judged on. Hmm. The world will judge us on everything. They will judge us on, yes, how well we do in our career, how professional we are, but they'll also judge us on our homes and our children and our partners. And they'll dress, they'll judge us on how we look and how we act and what we say. And they'll, ju- I mean, they'll judge us on everything. I used to say, if my husband walked out of the house with a wrinkled shirt, people wouldn't say, gosh, how can he walk out like that? No, they'd say, where's his wife? How could his wife let him out of the house like that? Right? Like, what? Same, same thing for kids. I mean, we get judged on everything if we accept it, if we accept it. So no, decide what you're willing to be judged on. You know, and an example I'll give, which I do share in the book is my daughter. You know, my daughter was born with really thick curly hair and the best way to brush her hair was to brush and braid. Okay. I grew up brushing and braiding hair. My husband, six foot two, former athlete, big hands. Had he ever like braided little girl's hair? No. Did he need to learn? He did because I couldn't do it all the time and I wasn't going to do it all the time. We're both parents here, right? So when he was learning how to braid little girl's hair, well, she left for preschool looking pretty jacked up at time to time, right? I mean, because parts crooked, a thick braid, a thin braid, right? Not even all these things you learn when you're first braiding hair. Mm-hmm. Well, well, if I was worried about being judged on that, all right. I would have like been, oh, well, let me redo it. Well, that's not fair. That would demoralize me. Say, fine, you do it. I'm not doing this. Right. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. She went to school looking however he finished. Now, do I know that when she got to school, people said, where's her mother? How could they let her out of the house looking like that? Of course they did. Yeah. I didn't care. Yeah. I didn't care. That wasn't important to me. I refused to be judged on it. What was important for us as a family is that he learned how to do her hair. Mm. And he did. You know, after a couple months, he was great. And she looked fabulous. Now, listen, she's four years old. She didn't care how she looked during that learning period. Four-year-olds don't care how they look, right? So it wasn't bothering her. One day's picture day. And he happened to do her hair for picture day. 
Well, he was trying to do two braids pinned up like a little crown on her head. By the time picture time came, it wasn't pinned very well. One braid had fallen down. One's on her head. It's unraveling. But here she is. <laughs> she doesn't care. Okay. That picture is still on the wall of my home to this day because it's an example of what's important to us and what we're willing to be judged on and what we're not. Did that impact her? Of course not. She's a well-adjusted, successful woman with three children herself, right? And married. So no, no, it didn't affect her at all. So decide what you're going to be judged on. Mm -hmm. Let go of the rest. That's how you have time to focus. And integrating your life, to me, it's all about how can I do multiple things at once? Because time is what's most precious to me, is time. So I formed a gourmet dinner club when I moved to Silicon Valley. Why? Well, I needed to establish my friendship circles. I like to cook. I like to entertain. I enjoy nice wine, right? So I said, all right, let me do it all together. So literally now people come together, we cook, we eat, we drink nice wine, right? We have fun. It's one thing. When I go to, when my husband and I would go to performing arts, when we could pre-COVID, um, it was all about not just us going, we invite 30 friends, right? Yeah, let's make it an event. Now we do dinner, we do the event. Well, guess what? It was still one event, but I got to touch and interact and see multiple people. I do walks and talks at work. If I didn't have to, if I had a one-on-one and there were no slides, no presentation, let's walk. Why? Because I need exercise. So, you know, figure out how you just integrate different parts of your life together so that you can optimize your time. That's why I can't stand, it's part of why I can't stand the term work-life balance. It's not like, oh, I do this over here. I've got to do this over here. Separate but equal. Mm -hmm. We learned a long time ago, separate but equal does not work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Powerful advice. And time is the most precious resource and the great equalizer. So the ones that know how to leverage it well, achieve more and fulfill their dreams. So this is very actionable advice. And thank you for sharing that. Um, speaking of family, um, one of my favorite stories in the book was just um, about you and Scotty and just how thoughtfully and intentionally you chose your life partner. And, um, you know, it's often said that's one of the most important business decisions that anyone will even make in their life. Um, tell us uh, a little bit about that and also, you know, finding cheerleaders throughout your life and your career. Yes, um, it was interesting. Back to what do I want? What has to be true? How do I make it true? Well, when I looked at all the CEOs, they all had back then, this is the early 80s, you know, they all had stay-at-home wives if they were married. And I was like, hmm, all right, that means you obviously need a lot of good support, right, and flexibility and whatever. So that went on the list of what I needed in a, in a spouse because I wanted a long-term partnership. I wanted a long-term partner. So therefore, I wanted to find somebody that I loved with all my heart, but that also would be the person who would want to support my career aspirations, right? Be the person who would be willing to be flexible if we, given we wanted, I wanted to have kids, right? I wanted, so I had this whole list of, all right, here are the things that I absolutely need um, in a life partner. Um, so I was, yeah, I was intentional. And you know what? I had all those conversations before I got engaged. No. Tough conversations don't get easier with time. They get harder, right? It's kind of like raw meat, you know? Raw meat in the refrigerator for a day or two is okay. A week, 
a month, a year? Oh my God, right? Well, that's kind of how tough, tough conversations are. So the earlier you have them, the better. Hmm. You know, this guy and I got to know each other and I knew that I was in love and I thought he was going to be asking me to marry him. We talked about everything but one thing. And that one conversation I had to have because I didn't want him asking me to marry him. And I, I didn't know that answer. Right. Hmm. And so I said, you know, Scotty, we've talked about having kids. And he said, yep, I want kids. And I said, yep, I want kids. I said, my mom was a stay at home mom. I liked that. Uh, and given the career aspirations, you know, et cetera, I said, I would really like it if we could have the flexibility where, you know, if needed, one of us would stay home, right, with the kids. And he said, you know, I said, I'd be making, I'd be willing to make the trade-offs and all those kinds of things. And he said, you know, I could see that my mom worked, but she always was flexible to be able to be home, blah, 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 blah. I said, okay, I just don't want the person that stays home to be me. That's right? incredibly bold. And it know. was, <laughs> it was right. Talking about taking a risk, yeah. um, but here's the deal. Taking the risk. What's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is he would say, I could never do that. Mm -hmm. Right? Well, then I know my answer. And I either walk into the relationship with my eyes wide open, or I decide this may not be the relationship for me. Um, so that is, that's why I asked the question. And he eventually, after thinking about it, right, it was quiet for there for a while. He said, you know, I love to work. I've always worked, but I could do that for you. And I said, all right, then. And he asked me to marry him three weeks later. That's love. And that was, uh, you know, such an incredibly powerful partnership. And, you know, all of the dreams that were enabled together um, as a family, it's uh, very powerful and inspiring for everyone out there that has similar ambitions. Um, you need uh, your community and support system around that. Shall we thank you? This has been such a fantastic conversation. And, uh, you know, this was just a glimpse of all the powerful stories and advice you've shared in your books. I want to encourage all of our uh, listeners to go out and get the book um, and be unapologetically ambitious and chase your dreams. Thank you again for being with us. Thank you very much for having me. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend about it and subscribe to get new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests. See you next episode.